everyone. This is Let's Get For Real, a podcast all about cats and dogs and what they mean to us. I'm Susan Michaels, the creator of the two biggest events in the world celebrating pets and pop culture, CatCon and Cat Art Show. Here we are four months into the United States battle with COVID-19 and the infection numbers just keep getting worse and worse, climbing daily. It's a big, big bummer. Add that to the stress that many folks, not just in the US, but around the world are facing, you know, trying to stay healthy, holding down a job, raising kids, keeping a business afloat, and just keeping it together. All at the same time, many of us in still very much in a stay at home, do not engage mode. For me personally, you know, I have days that are amazing and I feel really great and I try to keep it positive. And then the next day it's a big bummer and I just want to eat popcorn for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I know that's not healthy, but it is a lot of fiber. Our pets are so crucial to our mental well-being in times like this. And it's something that we actually explored in our very first episode, which was the comfort of animals in times of crisis. But what happens to your beloved cat or dog if you get sick? Or if you have to care for somebody else who's sick? Or a rise in domestic violence. There is a rise in abusive relationships and you want to leave. That's where the organization Red Rover comes in. On this episode, I speak with Nicole Forsyth, who is the president of Red Rover, which is based in Sacramento, but is nationwide. They've been around since the 1980s. Since COVID-19 came along, they have been swamped with all sorts of requests. They are on the rise. You know, they focus on natural disasters, but this is a disaster of a different sort. They have a myriad of programs. Uh, They have a classroom program called Red Rover Readers that teaches kids about empathy through books about animals. And that program, for example, is moving online. So with that, I am going to share with you my conversation with Nicole Forsyth of Red Rover about how the group is working to meet so many of the requests for help that they are faced with right now. Nicole, thank you so much for being on Let's Get For Real. I know Red Rover has often been described as sort of the American Red Cross for animals, but but in terms of what your organization does, there's so much more going on in how you promote and enhance the human-animal bond. So I sort of want to start with that and talk about the breadth or the spectrum of what Red Rover does. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. So American Red Cross for Animals is a great description because we really are there to help when people and animals are in their their most need. Um, We know that the bond between people and pets is so important. And so, you know, our job, our mission is to make sure we help animals and people in crisis so that bond can stay intact. And we also have programs and the way we do our programs is really designed to help um, strengthen that human-animal bond. I read that since the pandemic, 
you've seen a significant rise in applications for your project, the Red Rover Relief Urgent Care Fund. Can you talk a bit about what that is and what the changes have been since the pandemic sort of took hold? So we are really fortunate in our office that we are well prepared to be online and for people to work at home. So that gave us um, the opportunity to, as soon as the pandemic uh, was happening and we knew we were going to have to work from home, we quickly said, okay, how can our programs help in this situation? And so we immediately started to look at the programs we already have. And one of them is to help with emergency boarding of pets during domestic violence. So when a person is trying to leave a violence, a violent abusive relationship, and they have nowhere to bring their pet, the domestic violence shelters often don't accept pets. We were able to provide grants to help them have their pet at a temporary boarding facility while they went to a domestic violence shelter. And so we looked at that program, that grant program we already had working, and we said, hey, can we use this for people who maybe can't take care of their pets because they have the virus? And so we now offer this emergency boarding grant for people if they are severely ill, either at home or needing hospitalization, and they don't have anyone who can take care of their pets for them. So we quickly put that grant process in place and have been promoting that like crazy so that everybody knows that's available. Um, we don't want people to have to bring their animals to shelters to surrender them in this situation. So a lot of our programs are really designed to keep that relationship intact as much as possible, especially during a crisis like the pandemic. The very first grant that we gave was a woman who had um, just lost her husband to the virus. So he had to go to the hospital, he passed away. Uh, they'd been married for 46 years. So she's already in a crisis situation dealing with the grief of that, then she gets sick. So now she has to go to the hospital and she's got two dogs. Um, she had a family member not living in the home that said, hey, let me help you. And so she was able to contact us and be the person to kind of be the liaison between us and the boarding facility, got her dogs out, got them to the boarding facility and um, she recovered. She's now at home, safe with her dogs again. And although she's going through a, a horrible grieving period, um, having those dogs with her it means the world to her. And to be free from having to not worry about them while she was in the hospital was huge. So um, that's what we do, you know, making sure she doesn't have to worry in a crisis and that that bond can stay intact and that she has that bond to heal with when she needs it. Um, but we also, as soon as we realized that people were also losing their jobs, we expected we would see a huge increase in our applications for urgent care. We often um, get applications for emergency veterinary care assistance from people who've lost their jobs or have had some crisis in their own lives that have made it hard for them to pay for veterinary care. So we just immediately anticipated, oh, we're going to see an increase with all the unemployment. And sure enough, after a few weeks, uh, we saw that rate of applications go up and up and up, and some weeks up to a 40% increase um, in applications. Yeah, I had read that typically you were getting something like 75 applications first quarter, and now it's up to like 100 a week. Yeah, 100 a week at sometimes. It goes up and down, but <laughs> it has gone up as high as that. I mean, like this is very different than, you know, your disaster relief where you've helped with the fires and you've helped with the hurricanes um, across the United States, all these different, you know, natural disasters, as well as the other components like the domestic abuse, helping people. That's a disaster in its own right, frankly, yeah. but natural disasters. And now here is one that we have no control over, no idea how to handle it. 
how do you move forward? Yeah, and I think that really does bring up the, the fact that that's kind of how we dealt with it in a way was that we did think of this as a disaster. Um, and maybe because we have this really long history of having to respond during natural disasters, we were very primed for very being very flexible. The whole organization um, has this history of being having to adapt and be flexible to whatever situation comes up. We never knew from week to week whether we were going to get a request to deploy our volunteers. For a while there, I've been at Red Rover for 14 years. For a while there, it would seem like every holiday we'd get a request. <laughs> so, so I think we're well positioned to stay really flexible and just be there for whatever crisis happens, and then um, you know take that time to sort of recover when we can when it feels like it's less imminent. But um, one of the things we have been talking about is what are we going to do if there is a fire. So we've already got the pandemic. What happens when there's a fire in California or what happens when there's flooding in the Midwest or another hurricane in Florida and Florida is in such a bad hot zone right now? How are we going to respond? We can't send volunteers. We've already made um, the decision that we're not going to put our volunteers at risk by sending them to a hot zone. Um, so what are we going to do? Uh, so we've been still struggling with that. We are part of a national coalition called the National Animal Rescue and Sheltering Coalition. And um, our director of field services who monitors disasters and decides when we need to help has been actively involved in a working group to try to figure out what are we going to do when something happens. We're expecting to see this wave of evictions beginning shortly. How are you planning to help people who are evicted find new housing, especially since a lot of housing has a no pet policy? Yeah, we haven't even gotten into that as a possibility because one of the biggest challenges the domestic violence shelters have once they decide to allow pets one of our other uh, things that we do is in addition to providing the temporary boarding grants for people when they need to have their pets boarded somewhere else we're also encouraging working with domestic violence shelters to get them to actually accept pets and, and build facilities for pets on site and that's been ex extremely successful more and more and more starting to do this and find a lot of success with it but one of their biggest challenges is the same concept. So person leaves her abusive relationship. She brings her two dogs with her to the domestic violence shelter. She gets treatment. She has their pets. They heal together. They're both suffering from anxiety. They both get better. They're ready to start over. The woman finds a job. She goes to look for an apartment. She can't find an apartment that accepts her two dogs. So what we found um, that the domestic violence shelters are playing this incredible role of helping them find that shelter. So they might be talking to the landlords. They might be helping them with a pet deposit. We encourage people to create pet resumes and to advocate for their pets, even when they say no pets. Don't accept no. That's one of our first steps that we're doing is really helping people be pet advocates and say, look, I'm a reliable tenant. I've got all these references. Um, I'm more reliable than someone with a toddler. Um, toddlers often do more damage than pets. Um, so just helping them present some of the research. People with pets uh, stay longer in their rental. Um, so in terms of less turnover, in the long run, all of the research shows that people with pets as tenants are better than people without pets as tenants. So the research is out there. That, uh, landlords should not be restricting pets. Uh, so we're trying to get some of that information out there. We are really encouraging people to be their own advocates, um, do those pet resumes. 
look into, you know, having them become support animals if it's a domestic violence situation and that's their only way to find housing. Um, that could also help since, since they really are, they really are support animals often. But it's it's a huge question and um, we're just beginning to, to delve into how we can help there. There was a lot of press early on about a huge increase in pet adoptions and pet fosters because people were seeking companionship. Is this having an effect on the organization and your work in general right now? I think the biggest place that we see this, which was so exciting for me, when, when I started to see videos of some of our local shelters, the cages empty, like all of the cages empty. I was just like, oh my goodness, like talk about silver linings. Um, the fact that everybody was stepping up to, to foster pets was uh, extraordinarily heartwarming. And so another area in the organization where we really changed and pivoted what we were doing is our education program. So we have this program called Red River Readers, and we typically train teachers to do this program in a classroom. But we thought, oh, gosh, we can't do this in a classroom anymore. Can we do it online? And so we started to test out having uh, our virtual Red Rover readers readings and discussions with kids online, so on Zoom, using Zoom. And what we found was it worked even better in some situations because kids could show us their pets, they could talk about their pets with the pet right there, where normally they're in the classroom and so it's one step removed. And the other, their peers in their classroom or their peers on this call, could learn about them more um, by seeing them talk about their pets. But um, one of the things that this one teacher told us was so amazing was seeing all her students' pets. And she even started the first week with, hey, let's do a meet and greet with your pet. And so all of her students um, showed them uh, their pets. And even the toughest you know, eighth grade boys were just showing their humanity. Pets have a way of really bringing out our true selves and are most vulnerable because that's what we're like with them. You know, we know they're not going to judge us. We know they're not going to talk back at us. They can't yell at us. We're much more comfortable being ourselves. And all of a sudden, here you've got this classroom of kids connecting with each other in ways they never could in the classroom. And so this has been another sort of silver lining and benefit of this of this program where we really could understand that the value animals bring to people in their homes um, is something that we feel is greatly amplified. I think more people now feel at a very gut level the value of an animal in their lives, whether it's because they fostered an animal and they had time to finally do that, um, or whether it was because they're now home so much they feel the presence of their pet more, or whether it's because they're going through isolation and depression because they don't have their friends and family or loved ones around as much, or they're not being as social, all of a sudden that relationship with their pet is super central. And I think it opens up their mind to, wow, I'm going through this now. What about the seniors out there who go through this all the time that are always isolated? Or what about the kids who have no friends or the children who are being bullied in school or the domestic violence victim? All these people, they've always had that bond as their primary comfort. And so suddenly, you know, a huge number of people are getting a window into what it's like to feel isolated and depressed um, and how much that pet, pet is a part of their healing or comfort. And the fact that 
we also are seeing pets show up in weather reports. You know, when people were doing these newscasting things from home, from their own homes, they're bringing their cats and they're bringing their pets into what felt before to be very sterile. It feels like everybody has let down their guard to some extent. And um, I think it's helped some people feel more connected with each other or with people they may not have felt connected to before. Is there advice that you would give people to prepare for the possibility that they might get sick and that their pets might need to be cared for? Yes, definitely. We have, um, we've always promoted having an emergency kit for in case there's a natural disaster. So we took that same kind of model and then we just expanded a little bit of the same concept. So a lot of the same things, making sure you have everything in your emergency kit, whether it's medications for your pet, make sure you have a good supply of pet food on hand. Um, if they take any medication, you know, making sure you've got medication, first aid supplies. So sort of the basics um, that you would expect to prepare for a natural disaster, making sure you have a carrier, a leash. But the thing that we hadn't thought about before was really making sure that people have in, have planned ahead for who would take care of your pets if something happened to you. So often people think of it like a, a will situation. If, something, if you actually died, what would happen to your pets? But in this case, it's more of, you know, what would happen to you if you were hospitalized for two weeks um, because you had COVID or something similar and there was no one you knew of that could take your pets or you just hadn't thought about who would take your pets if something happened to you. We have some resources on this website that can help sort of step through this process of, okay, who would, who would you um, have take care of your pets? And would they be the one to actually take them into their home or would they be one to just help find a temporary boarding situation um, like what we provide with our temporary boarding grants? So that is online at this website, too. So at our website, redrover.org, all of our COVID resources are listed. And one of those is an emergency pet caregiving agreement. In all the years of Red Rover, what was the biggest crisis that the organization assisted with? I think Hurricane Katrina was definitely the biggest. It happened right before I came on board, so I didn't actually go through it with the organization. Um, at least at the time, there was a lot of things that got put into place after that particular um, hurricane, but that was our biggest by far. We ended up helping with five different sheltering operations throughout that region. So whether it was pre-evacuation shelters or post-evacuation shelters, um, they were doing everything at that time. And it was just a massive, massive operation. Um, and because this was still so new for a lot of animal welfare organizations, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of disorganization um, and no one was working together. So one of the values that Red Rover has always had since it was founded um, in 1987 was collaboration. Um, we, because we're so small and yet we're national, we've had to collaborate, whether it's collaborating with other national nonprofits or um, others in the nonprofit sector that cross over to what we do or government agencies, because we're working with governments when we do disaster responses uh, or schools, because we're working with schools. We are, we just are really known for working collaboratively and not overstepping our bounds or stepping on toes. So we really have that have that down. But um, Hurricane Katrina was just really eye-opening for the organization because a lot of that collaboration was not happening and everybody was trying to jump in and do this, do this, and they hadn't done it before. So we played a major role after Hurricane Katrina 
of um, starting this NARSC coalition, this National Animal Rescue and Sheltering Coalition that I mentioned earlier, that really is there to help build that collaborative work um, so that regardless of what size of a disaster happens now, we work together to figure out where the resources are needed and who needs the most help. And we kind of ensure that everybody goes by the um, proper incident command structure to ensure that we're not causing a secondary disaster in our trying to help because that often can happen in a disaster situation. Can you share some anecdotes or some stories about the positive impact that Red Rover has had on certain individuals? Yeah, oh, there's so many. I think for me, one of our stories that really highlights the value of the human animal bond for me the most and for the kind of person that we're helping the most is a story of this um, this young man, Michael. Michael was a, a veteran, so he had, he had been um, in, in um, a combat zone and had post-traumatic stress disorder from that, as well as some injuries due to his service. And when he came home and he was pretty young, um, very young at the time. And he had some severe injuries that required a lot of uh, his own surgeries and things. Um, But he was experiencing a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder and was depressed and uh, suicidal. And so one of his uh, friends really said, hey, you've got to try a therapy dog. You know, other veterans have had a lot of success with this and um, this could really help you. He wasn't very confident this would help, but he decided he'd try. And so a um, service dog agency hooked him up with this dog, Bane. And sure enough, you know, the bond really, really helped him tremendously. And he tells this amazing story of in the early days when he had just started out um, having Bane live with him, he was suicidal and he actually was going to kill himself. He was planning on killing himself and the dog got in the way. And he was just so floored that this dog could sense what was happening. And it was so clear that he was stopping him. Like somehow this dog knew what was going on and this dog just laid right in the path of of his weapon that he was gonna use. And at that moment, you know, he just just realized, it just clicked. And he was like, this dog cares so much about me. How, How could I, how could I let him down? You know, how could I, sever this bond that he's really trying to make with me. And it really was the kind of thing that kicked him into um, getting the, the help that he needed and, and being okay. But we, where we stepped in was right after that had happened, then his dog got sick. And so we were able to provide an emergency urgent care grant to make sure his dog didn't have to be, um, you know, that he could afford this care. And when, when we learned the story of how incredible his bond was and how valuable and how critical it was to his life, literally being able to provide a grant to make sure he could afford that care and that that bond would stay intact. It was just huge because we, we knew we weren't just helping a dog, you know, and we knew we weren't just helping Michael. We were helping this feeling, you know, this feeling that two beings can be there for each other and connect in ways that is life-saving and and that's what keeps us going you know it's that cause it's that mission it's that connection that sense of deep deep connection that's what life is all about that we really want to help people understand and preserve and protect um and be vulnerable about you know to be okay talking about it and sharing about it whether they're a kid in a classroom or 
a weather person on an anchor, you know, doing their weather. Um, but we all could benefit from being a little bit more vulnerable. And if pets are what help us do that, then um, power to them. <laughs> That's an amazing story. That is amazing. And um, thank you again for everything that you do. You guys are just amazing. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. It's great. That was Nicole Forsyth from the organization Red Rover. And that's it for this episode of Let's Get For Real. You can find us online and on social media at Let's Get For Real. We want to hear from you and see how you and your pets are doing. Please email us whenever you get a chance. We'd really love to hear from you at hello at letsgetforreal.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Our team includes Avishai Artsy, Roxana Dunlop, and me, Susan Michaels. Stay safe. I really mean it. Stay safe. Take care and give your little pets an extra special big snuggle and cuddle today. <laughs>